0: This week on the Tech On Tap podcast, Matt Watts joins us from sunny England to give us a brief history and current status of the data fabric. Welcome to the Tech On Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah.
1: NetApp. I love this company. Zipalk. Zipalk. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio with me today. Uh, Matt Watts. Hi. Hey, how are you? Matt Watts is in the studio, by the way. Um, he, he flew all the way from England just to do this podcast.
1: That's it. Nothing else. Nothing this week. else. There's nothing nope, else. This is
0: week. it. Um, that's how important this is. No, he's actually here to do other things, but he was kind enough to give us his time. Uh, and today we're going to talk about the data fabric. Um, we haven't talked about that in a while. And if you're not familiar with the data fabric, Matt is here to tell you what that is. But first, Matt, if we, uh, what do you do here at NetApp, and how do we reach you?
1: So, um, actually, just in the process of changing roles. So uh, for what? anybody, yeah, I know it changes. Change is good. Um, so for the last couple of years, I've been working as a part of brand and influence marketing, um, director of technology and strategy. So. Really, I guess trying to help with some of the messaging as to how we want the company to be perceived in the market, the kind of language we want to use to talk about ourselves. You know, how do we really remain powerful and you know have a, a real powerful story to tell? I'm on Twitter at uh, MTJ Watts. Also have my own blog site at watts-innovating.com as well. And the change of role, I'm taking a step into Europe, and I'm going to become the Emir CTO. The EMEA CTO. The EMEA We have a CTO. CTO for the entirety of EMEA. We do. Do we well, have an we APAC? Do we do now. Well, kind of. We, we've kind of had different implementations of this across the world. You've got kind of John Martin and yeah. a few of the guys down in APAC. Um, but we kind of realized that um, we've done a lot of good work on kind of working out who it is that we want to be and what that story needs to look like now what we need to do especially in in amir is really kind of execute on that and I really start to to, to get our messages to who we are you know and get that perception to change as to what it is that people can think of and expect when they hear netapp i'm the cto of this studio by the way cool uh, do you do i work for you because i'm in here it, right now yes yeah. okay cool so um
0: you know behave yourself um So, congratulations! And uh, thank you. Now, now I'm going to make
1: you work. Uh, So, Matt, what is a data fabric? So, I guess, I guess, let me. Let me kind of take you back because we. I was here when we first launched this. So this has been something we've been talking about since October 2014 when George Kurian took over. And I think what it started off with was a a kind of strategy that we wanted the company to focus towards. It was something that would give everybody in the organization a sense of clarity as to what it is that we were trying to do, what it is that we wanted to help our customers achieve. So it kind of started off as that lighthouse. What it became very obvious very quickly was that, It became about how do we help our customers build their data fabrics. It was such a powerful strategy for us because it kind of helped us move from what we were as a, you know, kind of a NAS and storage vendor to be what we wanted to be for the future as a hybrid cloud services company. And now we've started to really talk about it in terms of how do we help our customers bring their data fabrics to life. And effectively, what is it? It's about having data and applications in the right place at the right time with the right characteristics to accelerate innovation and to find new insights. I'll I'll remove the sugarcoating,
0: and really what it was was we were gonna have trouble if we weren't gonna reinvent ourselves. We were a storage company, we were doing hardware. Yep. And that was not where the industry was moving. And we had to move with it or be left behind.
1: Yeah, I I think so, I, I think that's absolutely fair to say. In October 2014 was when we placed our huge bet that companies were going to move to the cloud, and that is not something you could fight against. You had to work out what your position was going to be and how you were going to help them. Um, and I think we were early in doing that. And it's been kind of great to see how well that's come to life now over the last you know, four or five years.
0: Yeah, one of the benefits of doing that is the cloud providers that are very serious, like the AWSs and the Azures and the, and the Google Clouds, um, they take us seriously because we saw that vision very early on, and we partnered with them very early on. So, so we built up that trust. Yes. So that that was good. Um, and really, you know, I think the biggest thing was, you know, what what I've noticed over the course of time is people have stopped referring to NetApp as a storage company. And, you know, it used to be that we wanted to be called a software company. We weren't really that either. Mm -hmm. But
1: now they are referring to us as a data management company. Yeah, and and that's kind of an interesting one as well. I'm kind of – I have two kind of trains of thought on data management. I think it's one of those things that I think if we think about ourselves, then, yes, we think what we do is data management. It's about kind of enabling companies to have data in the right place, you know, the protection, encryption, security, mobility – The one challenge that I do see is that when you use the words data management with a customer, I often see two different types of reactions. The first one is, no, you're not. Because a lot of people think that data management is the stuff you do above the data. It's how do I extract value from it? How do I find new insights because of it? And then the second thing I often hear is that, um, well, you and everyone else. Because lots of companies who've kind of come from our, let's say, more traditional background, use data management as a way of kind of referring to themselves differently. So I think what we do is data management, but I actually think data services or hybrid cloud data services is an even more kind of exciting role or aspirational goal for us to achieve.
0: Yeah, and a lot of other companies that were in our similar position would refer to themselves as data management, but they don't have the same cloud story that we've got, right?
1: No, I I think... If I kind of look back through my history with NetApp, I think one of the things that we've always done is we've always kind of lent into things, things that people would say, well, you know, that'll kill you or that'll be the end of NetApp. You know, in the 14 years I've been here, we've either been about to be acquired or about to die. In every, in every one still are, the, right? You still are, right? Yes, still are. In every one of those 14 years. And I kind of think we've seen it pay off differently. You know, when virtualization happened, well, virtualization was going to be the death of the hardware companies, the death of the storage vendors. And the reality was that it was one of the most significant periods of growth we saw as an organization because you work out what is the value that we could add to this thing that is going to happen. And for me, it played out the same way with the cloud. As you Amazon, Google, this is happening. There is nothing you can do to stop that. So you then have to, once you recognize that, you look at it and say, well, what's the value that we could bring to that? And is that something that could create the next opportunity for growth for us as an organization? I'm old enough to remember when Clustered ONTAP was going to kill us. Oh, man. ONTAP GX, ONTAP NG, Clustered ONTAP.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it evolved. And I mean, and honestly, yeah. it was not an easy path. But what it did was it enabled us to do things like the data fabric.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think sometimes the the, the paths that you choose, the, the easy paths are not the one that are going to bring the most opportunity for success and for a future for you. And I actually think a lot of the times when we make a decision to do something, it's it's painful. It's it's hard work. It's not the, the, the easy path that other people will choose. But quite often it turns out to be the right path. Um, and I'm I'm with you, I think. Looking back at what we announced in October 2014 as a vision with, let's be fair, very little technology set behind it, that was a difficult path because that meant we had to build new partnerships with new hyperscalers that we had no relationships before. We had to build new software products, new technologies. That was a difficult path to choose, but it was the right path to choose.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I feel like that we've been the beneficiaries of a lot of happy accidents, right? So, like, I know I know Dave Hitz has referred to this before, too, like the AFF. You know, Waffle just happened to work really well with native flash. You know, I don't think they planned for that. They couldn't have planned for that 20 years ago. They had no idea, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if can, our history is littered with opportunities or where, with situations where you can kind of look back and say, was that a stroke of genius or was that just incredibly good luck? Um well, I mean, like Clustered tap. the way I looked at it when they first came out, because I used
0: to do the, the early escalation stuff, I looked at it as a good use case for service providers because of the multi-tenancy. Mm-hmm. But that also lends itself very well into the cloud providers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, so you kind of think about the where we've got to now. And, you know, I a lot of people ask me, so why is the relationship that you have with Microsoft, with Amazon and Google so strong? And... I think the reality is the way I kind of see it is that we are removing inhibitors for people to move into the cloud. And the reality is is that, you know, for companies to take more important workloads, more mission critical workloads into the cloud, then performance, efficiency, data protection, these things become a key requirement. So again, being that we were able to start really on in, early on in this, we were able to say to those companies if we can embed ourselves into your Environments, if we can become something that's available within the marketplace, it's good for us, but it also means we remove some of those barriers for companies to take workloads into you that they may currently be concerned about doing. Um, and from my perspective, I think that's played out really, really well, but it was a, an early bet and a lot of work that we had to do to get yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. And I
0: don't think that was the original intent, right? I don't think that was like, hey, let's let's start to be uh, you know, working with the cloud providers by creating this cluster ONTAP system. Another happy accident happened to be the ONTAP simulators, right? So we used yeah. to have those internally. We'd use those internally because we didn't want to stand up an entire cluster. And then somebody finally realized, hey, this might be good for software defined. This might be good for pe- People might want this. And they're starting to see that they do.
1: Yeah, that's a really kind of interesting way to look at it, because we were internally using software-defined storage as a part of our development process, our training process, you know, for all of these reasons. But we hadn't quite made that connection of, hey, hang on, maybe this would be something that companies would also want to have, and it would be useful for them to have as well. So, yeah, it was kind of interesting to see how that played out.
0: Yeah, I was reading an interesting thread on Twitter. It was about Sun, um, and Sun Microsystems, when they were about to go under, basically— had developed this internal cloud, essentially. Like, they had a mainframe, and then they had these little workstations that were blades. Oh, Sunray. Sunray, I yes. remember that, yeah. Right? And you'd have a little card. You put the card in, and that was your profile, and you'd log in, and your data was there. You'd leave for the night. you come back, put your card in, and everything was there again. If you wanted to take that card to another person's terminal to show them something you're working on, plug it in, you show them what you're working on they were like pretty much on the cusp of the cloud. Yeah. Happy accident. But unfortunately, they didn't They didn't have a
1: chance to ever see that to fruition. Yeah. So, I, I mean, Sun is just such a, a fascinating, fascinating company now that we can look back on kind of what happened. Um, and, you know, I, I can't talk about their demise. I didn't work at Sun, and I wasn't really in the industry at that sort of time. But you think back then that... When Sunray came out was when we were starting to think about could we get kind of serve desktops to, to, to dumb devices. They had Tarantella, which was their kind of virtualization technology. They had their kind of open office, which was their, you know, so they had all these pieces. And you look at it and think, were they just too early or were they not focused on it? Or why did that not succeed? Because you actually think all of those elements are now... Really important elements in
0: where we are today. Yeah, this person's thread. I mean, they worked at Sun, so they they basically postulated that it didn't work because Sun wasn't designing it for what customers wanted.
1: Yeah, they were designing it for things they could do. I guess we all get to that point as as companies and organizations that, like in everything in life, the the older you get, the more of a legacy that you build up. And um, whether that's as a customer who's been in business for 10, 15, 20 years, over that kind of time frame, you build up legacies. So whilst I can't certainly endorse and say that the things that they've written off are all the right things to have written off, I think having an, an attitude of, we're prepared to write things off, I think that's a kind of healthy approach. So with the NetApp data
0: fabric, you know, you mentioned October 2014, this mm. has been the vision. We've been steady course since October 2014. So where are we today?
1: So I think it, I mean the progress has been has been phenomenal. To be perfectly honest, I think um, you know it started off with cloud volumes on tap. So you know effectively the virtual versions of our storage devices that we would roll out into the, the hyperscale providers, and then of course with cloud volume service, it became about us putting our technology, our real technology into to the, the hyperscale providers, such that as a consumer you just take kind of volumes as a service for, for want one of a better expression and everything else gets managed for you. So once you kind of have that foundation to say that we've now got all of these different endpoints that can exist across, you know, the on-premises environment and the hyperscale providers, now you can start to integrate them and create relationships across them, replication between them, archiving, all these kind of capabilities start to come in. So I think that was the original focus was let's get that foundation in place and then kind of see what we can build from there Um, and of course where we are now is we're now starting to look at it and say well once we understand these things then we can start to optimize them because we can use cloud insights and some of our insight capabilities to understand what data is being stored where um, what is happening in those environments and make recommendations and then going forward Some of the certainly most interesting things for me is as we start to think about protect and secure, which are other sort of tenets of this environment, we're going to be building capabilities into Cloud Insights to allow us to start to understand who is accessing data where and to be able to alert people when we see behaviors or patterns that are not kind of the normal behavior and patterns in the environment. And then on top of that, What if we could also say, now you've got this data fabric with all of these endpoints that are integrated together based on what it is you want to do, and we can tell you who's accessing data across these endpoints when that isn't normal behavior. What if somebody were to copy data from your on-premises Environment into one of the cloud providers. What if we could alert you to the fact that that happened, and then also tell you that the content of that data is now likely to expose you to some sort of compliance risk? You know, and all of that has happened over the course of you know four or five years, which is pretty phenomenal from from my perspective. Not forgetting, we've been bringing out new AFF platforms. We've brought out Max Data, so we haven't lost focus on all of the let's say, the more traditional technologies that people expect. And we've had an aggressive push around HCI to make sure that we've been releasing new compute nodes, new storage nodes that we've integrated NVIDIA GPU cards. So it, it's kind of the whole portfolio, not just, you know, maybe what think, people think of as data fabric being the cloud aspect of it.
0: Right. I mean, ONTAP usually is what people default to when they think of NetApp and yeah. data fabric. There, there are other components. There's the Cloud Insights piece. There's the HCI piece. And honestly, even, in, even E-Series in some cases.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think Series, you know, still proves to be a, a great destination for you know a lot of the, the solutions that we have with our partners. You know, and, and again, all of that partnerships is part of the data fabric, the set of open APIs where partners can build on top of it. That is also still uh, an extension of what we've been building and what our intention has been around. You know, helping companies build their own data fabrics.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that data spillage use case where you know you can alert somebody when they've copied a file to the cloud that they maybe they shouldn't have. What's great about ONTAP is also we have features to rectify those sorts of things. So we have Secure Purge, which, mm-hmm. if you're encrypting your volume and you have a, a situation where somebody has uploaded a file that they shouldn't have, Secure Purge can cryptographically shred that file and get rid of it and follow compliance. And then you, you don't have to worry about it. You're just basically have taken care of the problem after being alerted to it.
1: Well, and I think going back to something we said earlier on in this kind of session was. We, you, you kind of mentioned data management, and, and I'm, I've always been a bit hesitant about talking about NetApp as a data management company, but all of the things that we've just talked about, being able to alert based on somebody's accessing data where maybe it's not usual behavior, the data that they've been accessing or they've copied, it could be subject to compliance issues, the fact we can shred and we can do secure purge, that for me kind of really does sit there in the the, the, the revenue of, of data management yeah absolutely and i mean i i know of features that are coming
0: that are going to further extend that data management piece and on i can't disclose them now but we are future ve- podcast we are very <laughs> leaning very much into the data management yeah. piece
1: yeah i i agree and uh, and i think that's what's that's where it gets really exciting for me is that just being able to say we can help you store your data across on-premises or a number of hyperscale providers which is what some vendors kind of claim as being innovative and, and fantastic that for me is I mean there's kind of setting a low bar and then there's laying the bar on the ground and just kind of stepping over it and And I kind of think that's where that is and then you, we haven't even talked about it, you start thinking about NetApp Kubernetes service and we just announced Google Anthos support so you know we continue to to drive that kind of more application, that kind of multi-cloud application environments as a part of Data Fabric as well
0: Yeah, and and honestly, I mean, you also think about how we're having people consume the cloud aspect, right? So we aren't causing you to install things on site. You basically access a cloud portal, Mm -hmm. and you provision your storage there, or maybe you set up your NetApp Kubernetes services there. Or with NDAS, you orchestrate your backups from the cloud, right? You you can do everything from the cloud portal there. You don't have to worry about dealing with the on-prem piece.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that's really great because by taking that kind of approach, it's very easy to consistently make sure that people are getting the latest and greatest. You're not saying to people, oh, by the way, before you can do this or before you can have this new capability as a part of your data fabric, you need to install this new piece of software. It's because we're managing this through a cloud portal where we're just adding the capabilities in every week, every month people are benefiting from the opportunity to tap into new capabilities, new opportunities, new features, as we add those into the cloud portals that kind of bring together or bring to life the data fabric. So
0: we've talked about how the data fabric has evolved from an idea or a concept into a reality. Now, Mm -hmm. realities are only as real as what people are using. So do we have any success stories of people that are fully implementing a data fabric in their environment?
1: So the simple answer to that question, yes. And um, and actually one that's, that's a little bit personal to me because I've been working with them since the outset. Um, it's a company in Serbia uh, called 3Lateral. And the reason I started working with this company was because, well, one, they fascinated me. And two, because I could actually kind of see that where they wanted to go to was something that we could really help them with because of the way we could help them bring their data fabric to life. So 3Lateral for... Your benefit. Their mission is to bring digital humans to life, which is uh, kind of interesting and probably set a whole bunch of different thoughts going in your head. Yeah,
0: yeah, that could definitely have some uh, <laughs> controversial use cases. But a new, could...
1: new girlfriend or something? Or yeah, maybe. well, yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, so this is not weird science. Um, wow, that's an old reference. Science. <laughs> um, so, what fascinates me about these guys is. Um, so, what is it? What is it involved with bringing a digital human to life? They've effectively created a rig, um, and this rig has um, up to a hundred cameras mounted on it. Alongside the cameras, they have strobes, which allow them to kind of flash lights at different, uh, at different kind of variations. Once you go inside the rig, or they take you inside the rig, and they set this 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 thing going, they're capturing massive quantities of data. I mean, down to the individual pores on your skin. Um, They ask you to perform certain expressions such that they can start to work out, you know, what is your facial DNA? What is it that your type of face looks like as you perform different movements? And then once they've got that, they can feed that into an AI where they've captured a whole bunch of of faces from, from previous video captures and start to use that to improve the AI to make decisions about what kind of expression would your face perform Based on different situations, even though they don't have that video, they can start to work out that what that would be. What does it mean for them? This is massive quantities of data. They're capturing seventy gig per second. It's a petabyte per day in terms of data that's coming in from the cameras. So the original challenge was just how do we cope with that kind of volume? So it was a simple quantity and speed discussion. So we. I went down to meet with um, Vladimir Mestilovic, he's the CEO of the company, and he was talking about to me about their ambitions and where they wanted to go for the future. And we started off with that simple challenge, which was, I need more speed and I need more capacity. But it was then, well, but what's next? And he started to tell me that what they want to do is start to create this framework and actually turn this into something, a framework that they can actually sell to other companies. So a lot of what they're doing is software development. And he said, so the next step for them is going to be, how do they start to create a much more a much more modern CI-CD pipeline, such that they can, as they sort of develop the software, they can bring it to market much, much faster as they start to sell this as a framework to customers, they can be selling new features and new add-ons and new capabilities. We then started talking about the next generation of their capture rig, which is going to be even higher definition and even higher frame rates. And then finally, um, they just got acquired by Epic Games. I'm sure we've got a few Fortnite users on the uh, the, the podcast or the listening in. Possibly. Or or Gears of War for your old timers. Oh, there you go. Gears of War as well. And um, so they're now working with Epic Games, and they needed to work out a way that they could securely share data from their own location out into to Epic Games. And also find a way that as this data was growing, how could they kind of keep the costs to a manageable level? A petabyte day that moves towards exabytes pretty damn quickly. So what did that all mean? We started off all flash faz and FAS, fixed the initial requirements, which were capacity and speed. Then as we started talking about the next generation capture, we brought in Max Data. How could we start then to bring this fabric to life with a new characteristic, which was another level of performance? So we brought Max Data in. As we started to look then at the software development side of things, now we're looking at introducing NetApp HCI. We're looking at using NKS, our NetApp Kubernetes service, as that more modern development platform that they could use. If they want to work with Epic Games, we're now talking to them about cloud volume service within AWS and also talking about using fabric pools to archive off the the older data. So you can kind of see that was a company that came to us and said, we have a speed and a capacity problem. What their actual problem was, was that they needed a strategy that would span and solve the original problem. This initial issue that they had but would then help them solve a whole bunch of challenges going into the future. And that's what we're working on with them. We're now bringing their data fabric to life and augmenting it with these new capabilities as they get to the point where it makes sense when they need to be able to solve them. I don't know about you,
0: but uh, if you've done this a few years, like what we've done, you start to hear customers tell you about what they're doing and you hear these challenges and you're like, and a light bulb just goes off immediately. Like, oh yeah, this and this and this and this, this can fix that, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of like where I am today. Is like, I hear that. And I'm, I'm already thinking of other things that could possibly, you know, solve that problem, you know, but whatever. But yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how it, it, it's allowed the internal NetApp people also to think because we're no longer thinking about our silos as much. Yep. We're thinking about everything as a holistic approach.
1: Yeah, it's... I- it's exactly that. It's don't think about what the box can do. Think about what the company can do, um, and that again, I think sets us apart from a lot of our competitors. You know, when when you are a, a storage company, then of course you're always looking at what's the problem your storage product can fix. I think when you're becoming a company that's much much broader portfolio that is around hybrid cloud data services, now you're coming at it saying, what's the problem that we can solve with all of the solutions and the the things that we have available within our portfolio that could bring a data fabric to life, it, you get really dramatically more creative.
0: Yeah, and, and for me, I mean, I, I work in the ONTAP group, so I mean, I have a natural bias towards ONTAP, but I'm at the point now where, like, if somebody says, well, I don't want ONTAP, I want to do, you know, something like HCI, I'm like, fine, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't care if it says the, the big blue end's on there, I don't care what you use, as long as it's solving the problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly that, and the conversations are far more interesting. I think we become, and certainly what I'm seeing is when you have that kind of discussion, you're so much more relevant. You know, when I, I, that was the CEO of the company that I was having a discussion with. You know, this wasn't, if I had just been NetApp, the storage company, he wouldn't have given me the time of day. But that's not how he saw us. He saw us as being a company that could do an awful lot more and had the potential to solve these grander challenges that he was trying to solve. So suddenly, little old NetApp, the storage company from 2000s in the early part of the 2000s was now having a very strategic discussion with the ceo of an organization about their long-term plans for technology yeah i think what's happened here is that we've graduated a bit from vendor
0: to partner right so now we are partners with our customers we're no longer just selling them
1: product it's absolutely that and um, and even with 3Lateral, I know it's a little bit of a plug for both of us, but if you go to NetApp.com and you do a search for 3Lateral and Data Visionary, we've just launched the first of the, the kind of short videos, which talks a little bit about what 3Lateral are doing. There's a great interview with, uh, with Vladimir on there. And... Yeah, I think that's absolutely the way I see it. This isn't NetApp supplying a bit of technology to them. Uh, He truly sees this as NetApp partnering with them to help them bring more of their technology to life. Yeah, and part of the partnership is not so much dropping off the gear and leaving.
0: It's also being there after the gear is dropped off and helping walk them through things, help them understand the technology, help them implement it the right way, and then beyond that, right?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll kind of put this out there, and I, this isn't something you could do for everybody, but um, when they got the latest video units, the latest video cameras, machine video cameras, they were running a different version of Linux than we supported with MaxData. Um, which was kind of one of those things. It was, what a shame, because this is the perfect use case. Um, our team in Israel actually rewrote the MaxData drivers to support the version of Linux that 3 Lateral were using because we knew it was important. We knew it would help them solve a problem. And we knew, of course, deep down that we would have other companies that would want to use MaxData in that environment. But that, for me, in terms of a partnership, I, I've, I kind of look back through all my years of working with NetApp and, and other companies, I think how many companies would do that? Would actually say we're going to rewrite this code because it's the right thing to do and it helps solve this problem for this customer.
0: You'd usually see it in the smaller companies, like the startups that are trying to make a name for themselves, and they have the ability to do that kind of agile development. Yeah, you didn't always see it with NetApp. Like NetApp went through a period where it was like you know monolith, right? You would you'd get an on tap version, and you have to wait for the next one. And if you want a patch release, maybe we'd work with you. But now it's it's gotten a lot better because. With the cloud enablement, with having the ability to do managed services and cloud volumes on tap, we can now do that sort of agile development or with stuff with Max Data, you know, you can we can do that now and, and enable more customers than we could before.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, in the the Google Anthos thing that we just announced, I mean, that was pretty rapid. You know, you go to cloud.netapp.com and features are going on there, new features, new capabilities are going on there pretty quick. You know, we're moving at the kind of the speed that companies need to move now. Um, and that's that's a big shift for us. Yeah, same things with the pub, like getting
0: Ansible recipes and, and yep. that sort of thing. I mean getting all that stuff out there and we have, you know, teams diligently working on that constantly and, and acting in real time. You know, they have a Slack channel where you can go and talk to actual developers and say, Hey, I've got this problem. All right, cool, we've got to change out. All right, cool, you're done. Right. So I mean that's that's I think the way it things are moving.
1: Yeah, I, I think it is. And I think um part of kind of changing as an organization wasn't just to come up with a strategy, it's what does that mean internally and how do you culturally shift to this, this kind of new, uh, this new way of working that we had to embrace, that, you know, we can continue to sell traditional systems, traditional technology to a traditional buyer because that market isn't, it's not growing but it's not really shrinking significantly and there's a set of expectations there that that is not as dynamic as other environments. When you start moving into HCI and cloud data services and, you know, development and kind of that whole DevOps area, there's an expectation that it's not just that you'll deliver technology, but you'll continuously update that. You'll be continuously delivering updates. So for us as a company, it hasn't just been how do we get into that market? It's how do we culturally change ourselves such that when we're in there, we're behaving the way that they expect us to behave as a supplier.
0: So a, a big part of you know the Agile development and Agile enablement is the sales cycle. Um, and we just announced something at Insight uh, that would help. I think that helps that quite a bit. So NetApp Keystone, can you talk about what that is and, and how that helps people?
1: Yeah, so I won't go into lots of detail on this because I think it's – it's. I don't know if it's something that the audience for, for this podcast will be you know wanting to know too many details about. But let me just kind of set it out for you. If we think about data fabric, the reason people are building them is because they want a much more dynamic type of environment. You may still have traditional on-premises technology, but you'll be increasingly looking to have a, a much more dynamic scalability around your HCI platform. And increasingly, as you start to look to Amazon or to Microsoft or to Google then that changes the consumption model again it's far more dynamic i want to consume something as i need it and i want to scale it back or drop it completely when i no longer need it as we think about some of the services that we're building on top of this you know around you know security cloud insights this is a really good example again what people are saying is i want to consume these things for the period i need them for and then i want to scale up or i want to scale back or i want to drop it completely what keystone does is gives us a procurement model, a way or a consumption model such that you can operate your entire environment, whether it's your on-premises technology, traditional HCI, or whether it's your cloud-based services, and you can scale those up, you can scale those down. You have that pricing, that kind of subscription model that wraps around your entire data fabric, let's call it, um, that, that meets the expectations, that fits with this much more dynamic, much more agile way that people want to consume and burst and tap into different resources. You have to have a pricing model, a consumption model that matches up with that. And that's exactly what Keystone is about. So
0: basically, it's like instead of having to decide, OK, I need an AFF and I need an HCI and I need an E-Series, it says I need this particular
1: solution and I'm done. Yeah, absolutely, and then make decisions about who do you want to manage that, and how much capacity do you need now, and how much do you want to burst into, but without losing the, the guarantees. You still you don't want to be able to, to trade off and say, but you know, am I losing efficiency guarantees? Am I? It's about let's make sure we can provide all of those things while still providing the guarantees, whether it's efficiency, whether it's performance, whatever it might be that you were expecting and that you had when you were previously part of a much more kind of capital expenditure type model.
0: So you've been uh, over here doing some EBCs and some customer visits. Um, what has been kind of the number one top of mind thing that people have been asking you or talking to you about?
1: <laughs> Sorry, funny enough, keystone. <laughs> it's um, because I think we announced it at Insight, um, you know, just a few weeks ago. It's had a lot of media attention. It's had a lot of press attention. And so I think we've got an awful lot of people, whether it's partners, whether it's customers, you know, just generally, there's been a lot of noise, a lot of kind of uh, a, a fanfare around it. So I'm getting an awful lot of questions about it. But I think as much as that, I think it's people starting to recognize that this is not their granddad's NetApp anymore. Um, and when you actually stand up in front of people, I did an EBC yesterday and I've met with all of our graduates today. And you say to people, we are a hybrid cloud data services company, there's a sense of kind of excitement around, okay, so what does that mean? And, and how does that mean you can help us differently than what you were able to do before? Um, so I think it's an, it's an exciting time for us, you know, as we, we make a, a significant shift away from what people have previously associated us, us with to this kind of this new world, this new opportunity And I love being able to have conversations that are solving bigger problems than we could as a NAS SAN storage vendor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've gone a long way since those days. And what's interesting, though, is we are are keeping with the NetApp tradition of naming things after beer.
1: Are we ready <laughs> I mean Keystone's a beer right well so are we going to come up with Keystone light too? I mean so, so you know what so i'm so I'm a Brit, so I didn't even realize that was a beer. I'm guessing that's one of your kind of weird microbrewery breweries so
0: things. no, no, I don't actually drink beer, so i don't I don't really know, but my my uh intuition tells me that it's one of those beers that Brits probably
1: wouldn't like. Yeah, see, I think we ought to start naming things after kind of British beers, you know, sort of Hobgoblin Fart or something, because we have some pretty incredible names for British beers. Yeah, yeah,
0: Keystone's pretty much been around for a while. It's funny, because like, I've heard stories of of people talking about in, in England getting imports, and they get an import from America, and it's Budweiser. Yeah. And it's like... Really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we get Bud Light as well now. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah you know, we've really, you watch your weight. Well, we're pushing the boundaries out now. You know, you got to be health conscious when you're drinking. You get Bud Lime. No, I, <laughs> I'm not a Bud guy. I'm not I don't care Again, what you put in there. I don't drink, it. so I'm, I'm kind
0: of not. I'm, I'm outside of my element there a little bit. But I have heard. I've heard stories. I've heard. I've heard people talk about it. So Matt, anything else you want to add for us?
1: I. Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I, th- I think, you know, thanks for having me on the the, the, the show. It's it's always a, a delight to kind of come on here and have a chat with you about stuff. Um, and I think I just encourage people that are listening to this, and I'm sure you all are, but take a look at cloud.netapp.com. Take a uh, a look at some of the capabilities that are on there. Have a, a, a look and have a play. You can register for free pre- previews on most of the stuff that we've got out there. And, you know, just... Just get involved and go to the pub as well, you know, leading on from our Bud discussion. I just think what's been really exciting for me is it's not just talking about it. It's not just understanding kind of the scope of what we do. I get on there and I play with stuff. I've got an Amazon account. I've got an Azure account. I've got all these different accounts. Um, And I think getting in there and playing and seeing the art of the possible is just the most wonderful thing. So. That would, that would be kind of my final thought is get in there, play with it, and think about how these technologies can solve whole new problems for, for customers in whole new different ways.
0: Yeah. And on top of that, I mean, we just actually announced recently you can get access to the labs on demand now. So you can actually, oh, there you go. As, if you're a customer and you have a customer account, you log in and you can get access to the stuff. We've spun up for insights and that sort of thing where you can play around in the sandbox that we've got ready for you to go.
1: Uh, without, I guess without even having to pay for it. Yeah, free of go. charge. Free I of mean, charge. Don't,
0: don't stick your MP3s on there because we'll eat them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if they're any good. They'll be delicious.
0: Yeah. All right, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Flying all the way from England just for
1: this podcast. Um, that's that's right. I'm just going to get straight back to the airport now, Justin. And
0: uh, Yeah, I mean, time, mo- time is money. And as absolutely. a CTO of this studio, <laughs> I demand that you get back to work. <laughs>
1: Okay, I'm out of here. All right, thanks. (laughs) Cheers.
0: All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire TechOnTap Podcast team, I'd like to thank Matt Watts for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Let's get enough on
1: this.
0: Oh yeah.